0: invite you to turn in your copy of Scripture to our sermon text this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. And notice as I read uh, the contrast that is present in the text between uh, Israel's experience at Sinai to our experience at Mount Zion, and then verses 25 through 29 explaining what that means for us as, as Christians in the New Covenant. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a blast touches the mountain, a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. fire now uh, this passage in many ways uh, summarizes the whole book of hebrews and we have uh, emphasized as we have been uh, studying the book of hebrews the main theme that uh, jesus is better that he is superior in every way to uh, the old covenant that he is better than angels he is better than moses he is better than Israel's high priests. He is better than the sacrifices of the old covenant. And he is better especially because he is a better mediator of a better covenant, the new covenant. And so this passage this morning shows how Jesus is a better mediator of a better covenant, how he is mediator of the new covenant. And the passage shows us this by comparing Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. So, you notice in verses 18 through 21, the writer of Hebrews describes the terrors, the terrors of Mount Zion. I read again verses 18 through 21. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, for even, a beast, uh, even if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. These verses, they repeat for us the sheer terror that Israel experienced at Mount Sinai Uh, when God made his presence known to them and revealed his law to them. We know in the history of redemption that God brought them out of slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with many miracles, with many signs of his power, brought them out of Egypt, and he brought them to Mount Sinai to reveal his law to them. And as we read in Exodus chapters 19 and 20, that event at Sinai was an awesome sight. We read in Exodus 19, verses 18 through 19, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. Now, as uh, Southern Californians, we have some idea of what this uh, might have looked like. The blazing fire, we see that every fire season. Some of us see it from our own backyards. And we know something about the description of smoke billowing into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln. Right, Smoke that brings darkness And gloom, and even as we sometimes see the fires around uh, Orange County and uh, Southern California, there's a sense of a loss of control. These consuming uh, fires are, are beyond what we can handle. And not only that, but we read that the whole mountain, the whole of Sinai trembled greatly. Again, we in Southern California know what that's like, right? It's an earthquake. We've felt them. We're familiar with them. For Israel, this was all a very terrifying sight, right? It was visual, it was audible, it was tangible. It was terrifying. But there was something even more terrifying than the fire and the smoke and the earthquakes that shook the ground at Sinai. And what was more terrifying than that? What was it? What was it that caused Moses to, as we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 21, what was it that caused him to tremble with fear at Mount Sinai? Well, what it was was the danger of God's judgment for the sin of the people. That's what caused Moses to tremble with fear. Because after God had revealed his law, we read that Israel... His people, they broke his law in a spectacular way. They made an idol and they worshipped it. It was the golden calf. And we read in Exodus about who it was that led the people in idolatry, who it was that gave in to their demands. It was Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. Now, when Moses asked Aaron why he did it, Why he led the people in idolatry, many of us know how Aaron responded, right? He said, the people asked for gods to worship, so I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Aaron gave in to the people's demands, led them into idolatry, and even he was trying to excuse himself in some way that it was kind of an accident, right? It just came out of the fire uh, this way. So what was Moses' response? Turn with me, if you would please, to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 12 through 19. It's a longer section that I want to read because this section of Deuteronomy explains what happened after God gave the Ten Commandments and Moses saw Israel sinning with uh, the golden calf. Deuteronomy chapter 9, I will begin reading at verse 12. And this is Moses, again, explaining to the second generation of Israel, that generation that was preparing to enter into the promised land, how that first generation failed, we might say, in an epic way. In modern terms, it was an epic failure of that uh, first generation. Deuteronomy 9, beginning at verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, go down from the mountain. For your people, whom you have brought from Egypt, have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a metal image. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. And notice now God's threat of judgment. Let me alone, that I may destroy them, that my wrath and my anger may burn hot against them, is what God is saying, and that I may blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. Verse 15, so I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, forty days and forty nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And Moses now at verse 19 explains the reason for his terror and his fear at Mount Sinai. He says in verse 19, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. See, Moses here clearly explains that the greatest terror at Sinai was not the glory of God displayed in these very wonderful sights and sounds. The great terror was the judgment that God was going to bring upon his people because of their sin. It was God's wrath for sin caused Moses to tremble. Moses said, I feared, I feared that the furious anger of the Lord, which turned him against you, would drive him to destroy you. So how does this terror come about? This terror comes about by first our understanding the absolute holiness of God. Our understanding that he is completely holy, that he is completely set apart from his creation, that he is pure, that he is entirely without sin. And not only that, but he cannot tolerate sin in his presence. This is what John gets at when he says in 1 John chapter 5 that God is light. And not only is he light, but in him is no darkness at all. The idea that God is light is that he is completely holy. There is no darkness. There is no sin whatsoever in God. And so the terror comes in by understanding his holiness and by also understanding our absolute sinfulness apart from Christ. See, it's the fear and dread that fills a person who realizes that God is holy and we are not. And loved ones, this realization comes only by the grace of God. comes only by the gracious revelation of the Holy Spirit. And C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, God is our only comfort, but he is also the supreme terror. He is what we need most and who we most want to hide from. And Lewis then goes on to say, you know, some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again, says Lewis. Because every time people in the Bible encounter God or encounter one of God's holy beings, their first reaction is one of terror and fear. example of this is found in Isaiah chapter 6, a passage that many of us are familiar with. Isaiah 6 that describes the vision that Isaiah saw of the Lord seated on his throne and the angelic host around the Lord, we read in Isaiah 6, called to one another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of heaven's armies is what it's referring to. The whole... Earth is full of his glory. It's important to note that in this Isaiah 6 passage, the fact that the attribute of God of his holiness, the fact that it's repeated three times, three times is the only occurrence of it in the Bible. The only attribute of God that is repeated three times is that of his holiness. And what was Isaiah's response? Is it, as Lewis said, how some people talk of meeting the gaze of absolute goodness, that it would be fun? Isaiah's response is not one of fun and of being casual. But here is this man, Isaiah, who was a prophet of Israel, who was a relatively obedient man who tried to seek after the Lord in his life tried to please God, he was this man, when he encountered the holiness of God, his response was one of dread and of terror and of fear. I want you to listen to how similar Isaiah's experience was with what we read about the experience of Israel at Mount Sinai. Listen to how similar the imagery is. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4. We read, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke, right? There's the smoke, there's the earthquake. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. Isaiah, Isaiah says, I'm doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. See Isaiah was undone by God's holiness. There was in him the terror of judgment and of wrath. As Isaiah, when he encountered God's holiness, was immediately made aware of his sinfulness, he realized the depths of his sin, and not only of his sin, but of the sin's of the people of of Israel. This is the terror, loved ones. This is the, the terror that Moses felt when he saw Israel's sin at Mount Sinai. Moses had some understanding of the holiness of God. And when he saw the sinfulness of the people, he feared that God's furious anger and his wrath would drive him to bring judgment upon the people. The Bible, loved ones, the Bible says that something has happened in history, in the fullness of time, that has caused a change in our status, you and I here this morning, a change that allows us not to approach God in this fear and dread and terror that Israel experience and that Moses experienced at Mount Sinai. Because the Bible tells us in the gospel that we no longer have to live in terror and dread and judgment, fear of judgment. Why? Because of one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to bear God's wrath for the sin of his people. This is what is explained in verses twenty-two through twenty-four, the joys of Mount Zion. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of angels. Now, when the Bible here speaks of Mount Zion, um, Mount Zion, it was one of the hills upon which Jerusalem was built, and the name Zion became a symbol of God's grace and salvation. And here, in our text, is as, as well, as in other parts of the Bible, Mount Zion describes the new heavens and the new earth. It's a reference to the new Jerusalem, the new creation that Christ will usher in at the second coming. And so, what is being described here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, is similar to what the Apostle John describes in the book of Revelation, as he too saw the new. Jerusalem, as he too saw the new heavens and the new earth. And so what the Bible is teaching us here is that you and I are part of this new reality, loved ones. As the Apostle Paul says, that you and I have our citizenship in heaven. That you and I are citizens not of Mount Sinai, but we are citizens of Mount Zion. Mount Zion it's a spiritual reality. It's a heavenly city where Jesus is present as our eternal great high priest. And the amazing thing, loved ones, the amazing thing about this is that we have access to it by faith in Christ. If you recall the description of Sinai, what did Sinai represent? It represented separation the people were separated from god because of their sin no man woman or child could even set foot on the mountain but the contrast in our text is clear that we have not come to sinai but through christ we have come to zion love to look how this heavenly jerusalem is described it is completely different from mount sinai Contrast is stark. It's night and day. Instead of gloom and terror and fear of judgment, we read in verse 22 that there are innumerable angels in joyful gathering. And we read in verse 23 that there is the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The assembly of the firstborn are those saints who have gone before us they are all those who trust in Christ and they are the assembly of the firstborn because the Lord Jesus was the firstborn of many brothers and by our union with him, loved ones we receive the inheritance that he earned. So we read here that because of him, because of our union with him, our names are now written in heaven. We are enrolled there. Our names are written in the book of life, says the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. We continue on in the text in verse 23. You have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Loved ones, you remember what separated Israel from God at Sinai? It was their sin. But we read here that in the new creation, in this heavenly scene, those who trust in Christ are described as righteous and perfect. This goes back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, that Christ, by a single offering, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That in the new heavens and the new earth, he will not have more work to do on us or in us because he has perfected us for all time by one single sacrifice. Those who are in Christ are righteous. They are perfect because he is righteous and perfect. And because of that, loved ones, we can approach God in fellowship and in worship without the dangers that Israel faced at Sinai. This is the good news of verse 24. It's all because of Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus bore God's wrath for our sin. As we read here, that his blood is better than the blood of Abel, it speaks a better word. We learned about Abel. He was the one who uh, was murdered by his brother. And His blood, which was spilled on the ground, what did it cry out for? It cried out for judgment, for vengeance. But We read here that Christ's blood is better because it has won our forgiveness. And it cries out that his people, you and I, are no longer guilty because we have been cleansed of sin. At the end of the service this morning, we are going to sing John Newton's hymn, Uh, Let Us Love and Sing in Wonder. And there's this line in the hymn that you'll notice. It says, He, Christ, has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. You know, what Newton explains in this hymn is that the law's loud thunder the demand for judgment for sin has been silenced by Christ. Why? Because he bore our judgment for sin. See, loved ones, the moral law is still binding. We need to obey what God commands. But for those who believe, God's wrath for sin has been placed upon another. It has been placed upon Christ, our substitute. And as we look you know, at these verses in Hebrews chapter 12 these verses that as we see compare mount Sinai and mount Zion there's a danger you might have noticed there's a danger of interpreting them as as though they were teaching a difference between uh, the God of the Old Testament and the Jesus of the New Testament uh, as though uh, you know mount Sinai describes the God of the Old Testament who is Angry and, and vengeful and judgmental. But Zion, right, the verses describing Zion describe a God who was loving, who was very different from the God of the Old Testament, who was more accepting and more forgiving. This is a wrong way to interpret these verses. It's completely false. Because, loved ones, the wrath of God remains. For sin, The wrath of God remains for sin, for sin that Christ has not atoned for. For those who are outside of Christ, their reality is still Mount Sinai. For those who stand apart from him, who are not in union with him by faith, their reality is still Mount Sinai. Their reality is still terror and judgment, and fear. See, for them, Christ has not hushed the law's loud thunder. For those who do not repent and believe the moral law, the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments, you know what? It still cries out for judgment. And the flames at Mount Sinai, the wrath of God's judgment is their reality. And this is why verse 29 of Hebrews 12, you notice, Is also the title of the sermon. Verse 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. What is that? A consuming fire is one that completely burns up what it touches. It's uh, used in one passage specifically in Leviticus chapter 10, where Nadab and Abihu, they were the sons of Aaron the high priest, these sons worshiped God in an inappropriate way, in a wrong way. And we read in Leviticus 10 that fire came out from before the Lord and it consumed them. It was God's judgment for sin. But think back and notice in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, the writer of Hebrews says, Our God is a consuming fire. Not that he was, but that he is a consuming fire fire. And so the God of Sinai and the God of Zion are the same. See, The only thing that has changed is how we approach him, whether we try to approach him through our own works or through the merits of another, of our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as you look at the sermon text, verses 18 through 29, you'll notice that It's laid out in three very clear points that can be summed up in the words guilt, grace, and gratitude. And this is also the outline of the Heidelberg Catechism, which we have been studying in Sunday school. Guilt. Guilt we see in the description of Mount Sinai, where God revealed his law and just judgment for sin. It is God's law. That's not bad. But it is God's law that is good in the sense that it reveals to us who God is. It reveals to us his character. But it also reveals our guilt and our need for forgiveness. The law reveals our guilt. And then we move into grace. Mount Zion, the heavenly city, that we will enter not by our own merits, but because of Christ's merits credited to us. And then we move to gratitude. What is our response to be now to God's grace? And that's what we see in our third point in verses 25 through 29. Let us be grateful, loved ones. We read in verses, beginning at verse 25 of Hebrews 12, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The warning for us here is that God will once again shake the earth in judgment as he did at Mount Sinai. and He is speaking here specifically of the last day, when Christ will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. Right, That's what we confessed this morning as we read the Nicene Creed together. And we know that when that judgment day comes, he will usher in a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Mount Zion. And he will make all things new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and earthly heaven. We read that in the meantime, our gratitude then must be characterized in verse 28 by offering to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. In light of the fact that we are citizens of this new heaven and new earth, this kingdom that will be established that we cannot see now, but we believe by faith, will be established and ushered in in the last day. What are we to do, loved ones? We are encouraged here and exhorted to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Acceptable worship, what is that? Well, it is worship that is mediated through Christ, our great high priest. And it's done in a way that is prescribed and and informed by Scripture. And we can't come to God in any other way. We need to come through the one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus. We cannot come in any other way and expect to be accepted. This was one of the dangers that the Hebrew Christians in the first century were facing. Because of the persecution that they were enduring due to their profession of faith in Christ... Their temptation was to leave Christ and return to the Old Covenant way of worship, to return to the priesthood and the Old Covenant sacrifices. And they thought that that would be an acceptable way to worship God. But, loved ones, that is not acceptable. Because those things pointed to Christ, and Christ is the only one who can make us acceptable to God. So we offer our sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving through the Lord Jesus Christ. We offer acceptable worship through the one who is acceptable to God. And we are to come with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. See, not with terror and dread like at Sinai, but with a sense of awe at what God has done for us through Christ. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. So the exhortation is for us, loved ones, to draw near. To draw near. Sinai thundered out, stay back. Caution. Danger. It thundered out separation. But Zion invites us to draw near because we have a new mediator of a new covenant who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was revealed in types and shadows in the old covenant and who in the fullness of time came and accomplished our redemption. And so, loved ones, we are invited, we are exhorted, we are commanded now to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. And God has given us very tangible things to teach us how to draw near to him. He has taught us how to worship him through these signs that are before us, of bread and wine, these signs that remind us this morning as we partake of them, that we are invited, commanded, exhorted to draw near, to commune, with him because the separation that once existed between man and God has been done away with by those who trust for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with the words from Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. And since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich truth of your word truth that so clearly reveals to us the way of salvation, we pray that you would grant us assurance that we may trust in Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of all those who trust in him, cause us to seek our refuge in him and him alone, and bless us now, we pray, as we partake of this spiritual feast before us, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray.